And we are continuing on in our in our um, our sermon series for this summer, and this is the last one that I'll get to preach uh, for at least a little bit of time. As many of you know, I'm headed out on a on a little bit of a break here in uh, July, and so I'll be around next week. Um, and had hoped to uh, do some in-person fellowshipping with you next week, but in fact, we will most likely still be uh, online only. But I'm headed out for July, and we'll be back in August, and so uh, I mean, I'm going to miss you, but today I get to preach on one of my favorite subjects, one which you're going to be a little bit inundated with some quotes on, because I've done more reading, more research, probably on community and friendship than anything else, and so um, there's plenty of, of, of good, just solid meat to chew on today as we uh, enter into the scriptures together. And so we are going to talk about um, what does it look like for us in a, in a separated, socially distanced uh, context, and in any context, what does it look like for us to pursue spiritual and what I'm calling today sticky friends? And so how is it that we will pursue those things? You know, when I think about a friend, I've got a specific uh, understanding in mind, but I wonder what comes to mind when you think about a friend. I wonder if you think about a 90s sitcom. I wonder if you think about what it looks like to unfollow friends or to unfriend people on social media. I wonder if um, we're more centered around what Monica and Chandler say about friends or what Mark Zuckerberg has coded for friends than what Jesus of Nazareth has intended for friends. I wonder where we are on all of that, and here's what I would say to all of us listening in, because here's what I know. If I look over to my right up in my balcony, I see three or four kids that are, that are kind of listening in to this message, and so kids and students and adults, um, look, the world is going to put around you this message. Uh, gather as many followers, accumulate as many companions as you can, and then your relational and emotional state will be better. Whether it be on social media or through um, elementary school at Frost or Adolphus or Pecan Grove or Austin or wherever it is that you go to elementary school, or whether it's at Bowie or at Travis or at Briscoe or at Wertheimer or wherever it may be, the message remains the same and had always been there. Gather as many people as you can. Become popular um, or, you know, so that you can, quote-unquote, be safe relationally. And what the Scriptures are going to tell us today, kids, what the Scriptures are going to tell us today is that that is a trap which leads to ruin. So I want us to think, like, don't, if we're an adult, don't distance ourselves from, from needing to hear that message. We all need to hear that message because... We accumulate friends uh, at a rapid pace that we actually cannot sustain if we're being true to either the message which, with which we're supposed to wrap our lives around or if we're being true uh, to the scriptures and to Jesus himself. So um, it is a path to ruin to accumulate as many companions as possible. That's what the passage just said that Cassie read. And here's why. The scriptures urge us to find a few friends that stick close to us, like closer than a sibling would. And I don't know about you in a socially distanced world, but my, my kids, as siblings, as sister and sister and brother, they're tight. They are close right now, probably sometimes too close, uh, uh, because they're just like, that's all they're hanging out with, right? But the scriptures are telling us, 
Man, find a friend that will stick closer than that. And we have to ask ourselves why. And I will say this over and over again. There are so many different reasons why. But first, um, this, like our character is greatly shaped by the friendships that we keep and the friendships that we make. Um, Again, I have some quotes for us today. So introductorily, if that's a word, uh, is this quote from a great book uh, called Becoming Friends by a guy by the name of Paul Waddell. He says this about our friendships. He says, our friends shape our character. They influence our attitudes, values, and perception. Doesn't that sound like what a mom or a dad would do? Doesn't that sound like what a father or, or a mother would do? Or a sister or a brother? This is what friendships do. They challenge us. They teach us not to take ourselves too seriously. Man, we need that today. And they give us hope. But most important, friends want what is best for us. And they help us achieve it. They see our most promising possibilities. They have a vision for our lives. And what is that vision? That the true image of God would be in us. And they help shape that image to completion. They help shape our souls into the image of Jesus. You see, that's what a true spiritual sticky friend really pursues, the image of God in us and seeing the restoration of the image of God in our soul. So let me just say that as we move into our first point or our first understanding of what the scriptures say about friendship, um, if, if, if someone that you have categorized as friend lacks the ability to deeply care for your soul and restoring your soul into the image of Jesus, you are in danger. You have let someone into your quote-unquote inner circle, your tribe, your people, whatever you want to say. You are in danger if they lack the ability or the desire to care for your soul in such a way as to be an instrument of holiness in your life. If all they do is enjoy and they never correct or encourage or admonish, we're in danger. And so I need us, I want us, and I think the Lord wants us to understand that there's a huge difference here between enjoyment of a friend and having a friend that pursues what's best for us. You see, how would it change your group of friends, students? How would it change your group of friends, kids and adults? How would it change... What we do, both in who you allow into that sacred space and what you do together, if you don't just think about joy, but also the journey, and you take the enjoyment that you have and you find it in Christ together, not in a hobby, not in shared preferences, but in Christ together. You see, a little bit of a concern is that um, what I see with my eyes, and then, okay, y'all are going to hate me for this, but... Broad stroking it here. I know this is a dangerous place to to paint with broad strokes, but I'm going to do it. Like women usually uh, primarily seek uh, enjoyment and escape out of their friendships. This is what I see. You can correct me later. You can email me if you'd like. And men primarily seek companionship or company as they're doing hobbies or co-working. So like a lot of times we think our friends as men are the people that we work with. And sometimes that's true. Uh, but many times we have put into the space of like inner friendship what should be a companion. And I'll, I'll run through what that looks like for us. So as we look at word to the wise, as we look at friendships, they require wisdom for us. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so much uh, scripture in the book of Proverbs about 
friendship. It, we would not need wisdom if it was not in the book of wisdom, but it is, and it's everywhere. And so let's look at the Bible, at what, what it says about, about friendship. First and foremost, like categories are not bad. Categories are actually from the Lord that companions are not friends. There is a, a difference in companionship and friendship. Even this morning, Kobe was saying, like, oh, I have a buddy of mine. And then he quickly changed it. Well, he's more like an acquaintance. Like, I want to just give us the freedom that that's a, a really biblical categorization according to Proverbs 18.24. So let's, let's look at the proverb again, and let's rediscover companionship and friendship. Look at what it says, 18.24, right? It says, oh man, I'm on the, not the right page. There we go. A man of many ruins, excuse me, a, many, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The word for companion and the word for friend are completely different in the Hebrew. The word for companion is used so many different ways in the Old Testament. It could be neighbor. It could be acquaintance. Um, it could be all sorts of things. It could be an associate. Um, it, it has a lot of different uses in the Old Testament. But what we know, the common theme, is that this is the kind of person that comes into your life and goes out of your life. This is, this is George Strait, easy come, easy go. Um, and so like, they come in and they go out. And so this person is, is with the wind into your life. With every circumstance, they're coming in and they're going out. This is the popularity contest. There's no way to sustain 1,100 friends or 1,500 friends on your Facebook or, a million, or 10, whatever it may be. There's no way to sustain your friend list and put them into friendship. Instead, companion. That's a good categorization for us that we need to understand. If we trust, if we put all of our trust and hope in companions, keeping everyone at a distance, only showing them what, they, what you think they want to see, we may lead, our lives are leading to ruin. That's what the scriptures say. So first category may not be the best category for us. Instead, friendship. And the root word for friend in Hebrews, uh, excuse me, in, in Proverbs 18 is the word for love. It's the verb to love someone. I want you to just let that sink in. You've got companion who's kind of easy come, easy go. And then you've got a friend that is known for loving you. And you as a friend are known for loving another you see, a companion comes and goes, but a friend is known for love. And what is love known for? 1 Corinthians 13, right? It endures all things. That's the kind of love that friendships, true, biblical, spiritual, sticky friendships are made of. They endure all things. They believe about what's best in the other. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter what your opinion our masks are or whether or not we're actually racist or just pretend to be racist or if we're not racist at all, no matter what your opinions and all the things that are inundating us in these days, you see a friend endures all things. They commit to you like Christ commits to sinners. And I don't know about you, but I know he's pretty committed to sinners. See, that's what friends do and vice versa. See, for us, we need to understand that this, in, in, in biblical times, when this scripture is being written, it says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In ancient Israel, your family was no sure bet that they were going to stick by you. In fact, if we were just to read a little bit further down in Proverbs 19.7, 
It says this about brothers. It says, all a poor man's brothers hate him. Oh, so we're going to be in this through thick and thin because you're my brother. You're going to be here like blood is thicker than water, right? No, not in ancient Israel. If you're a poor man, your brothers hate you, especially if you came from riches and then spent all your money. Then you truly are a source of shame and contempt for your family. So your brothers, your siblings hate you. How much more do his friends then go far from him? He pursues them with words but does not have them. See, in ancient Israel, it was an insurance policy for you to have a friend that would stick through even your poverty because the, the rest of the scriptures say in Proverbs 19 that, man, a man of many riches, a man of many gifts, they have plenty of friends. But one who has nothing to offer, not, not materialistically anyways, man, that person is surely uh, in need of a friend and vice versa. Companions are those that Jesus warned about in John 6 when he said some crazy things like, you gotta, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be in relationship with me, if you're going to be one of my friends, one of my disciples, then you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Okay. And so we know right then if we're a companion of Jesus or a friend of Jesus. Because what happens next in John 6? The companions of Jesus, the easy come, easy go, he says, the, 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 the scriptures say, and they uh, ceased following him. They, they, they quit going after him. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, now, do you want to go too? A.K.A., are you my companion or are you my friend? Of course, Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. And though I may not understand, eat my flesh and drink my blood, I trust you. You see, a companion looks at our kind of constantly looking at our character, constantly criticizing, constantly evaluating if you fit their criteria and expectations, and they never settle in to just accepting you, faults, warts, and all, for who you truly are. They enjoy your strength, but they also endure your weaknesses. That's what a friend is all about. That's the friend that sticks, closer than a brother. A companion looks at your weakness and your faults and goes, that's enough for me, I'm out. So a friend is someone who also lays down their life, right? They root their life in the flourishing of another. That's why in John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his companions, his friends. It is a laying down of our life for the sake of another. You see, a true friend dies so that the other can live. And if you're like me, you're starting to think, man, this sounds a lot like marriage. And indeed, we'll get to this, this parallel between marriage and friendship. So I don't know about you, but my deepest friendships, my deepest friendships have been victim to my uh, most tragic flaws of, of anger and outburst um, and, and, and betrayal and deception. And they've seen all those things in me, and they don't walk away. They call me out. They, they temporarily frustrate me or anger me for the sake of Christ in me, the hope of glory, being fo- me being formed into that image. You see, that's what true friendship is all about. And my deepest friendships, they not only stay, but they become patient with me. And they, they, they plot out a map with me so that you can kind of see and that they walk with me on this path of spiritual and emotional maturity 
And I have done the same for them. And so I want to ask, how about your deepest friends? How about your closest friends? Do they know your dark side? Have you let them see your dark side? Or better yet, have you seen another's dark side? And what has been, what has been the reaction to seeing that in another? Have you let your guard down and have you been a safe place for another to let their guard down? And then what has been the reaction in that place? Is it separation and distance or is it intimacy? You see, a friendship sees all that and leans into intimacy. A companion sees all that and says, no thanks, not for me. That's what this true categorization is truly about. And so I wonder, are we building companionships or are we building friendships in the church? What are we purposed to do? That's number one. That's what the scriptures tell us. But then I just referenced this beautiful picture in John 15. And we would do well to read all of it. And so I'm just going to, I don't have it in my notes, so I'm just going to go there. John 15, um, uh, I believe it's 12, John 15, verse 12. And I'm just going to read, yeah, I'm just going to read uh, John 15, 12 to 17. Follow with me here. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He's about to tell us what a friend really is. 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Why? Well, because all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. I want you to hear something, church. Jesus calls you his friend. Jesus calls you his friend. The most intimate thing that he could probably come up with for, for, for him to us is friend. And so we may read that and we yawn or we kind of hum a Michael W. Smith song in our hearts of going, you know, friends are friends forever if the Lord, the Lord of them. That was before my Jesus times, but that may be right in the heart of your childhood. I don't know. But let me just say this. There is so much more to just that type of song. In all of the Bible, I want you to hear this now. In all of the Bible, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, Deborah, Aaron, Ruth, Samuel, David, Solomon, Esther, and the entire Old Testament, with the exception of two people, were never called God's friend. Only two people in all of Scripture before Jesus says this in John 15 were called his friend. Moses in Exodus 33 and Abraham in Isaiah 41. We are on the level of Moses and Abraham. Jesus comes. And as he's laying down his life for us, he goes, man, all of y'all, 
Male and female, all of y'all, if you follow me, if you dedicate your life to the purposes of my Father, you have the same relationship as Abraham and Moses did. Do you want the kind of relationship that Abraham and Moses, where they talked face to face, Exodus 33 says? Where they just, where they just reasoned with one another in prayer. Like, oh, if there's 50 men over there, would you, would you spare them? How about 10? And you negotiate with the Lord for your, for your desire for what's going on inside of you. It's no wonder in John 15, he says, man, if you ask anything in the name of my Father, he will give it to you. Why? Because we're friends with him. I want you to just think about that for just a moment because this is life-changing. He invites us not just into a father-child relationship with our Father, but he also goes, but with the Savior, like Jesus who died on the cross, we're friends. So I don't know about you, but when I think about like friendship, I think sometimes, I think this is a good way to look at it. We're not just servants of a master. That's what Jesus would say. I no longer call you servants. You're not just servants of a master. You are friends of a king. So, like, I don't know about you, but, like, I don't know if you've ever had, like, connections with someone, like, at a big event. Like, let's just say it's, like, I don't know, a huge, um, like, outdoor music festival or something like that. And people know that you're friends with the organizer, and, and people know that, like, you're friends with them. And so what happens? People start coming to you, and they go, hey, can you get me tickets? Can you, you got connections, man. You're a friend with them. Now, that's different if you work for that festival. If you work for that festival, you can easily go, like, I just work here, man. I'm just working the gate. I can't do anything. If you're a servant of the master, you can't do much. You have no access except for when the king calls you. If you're a friend, you call up or text the, the guy that's running the thing, and you've got privileges. You've got access. You've got the ability to call in a favor or two. That's the kind of relationship and the distinction here that Jesus is making between us who follow him and everyone else. There is, there is a huge difference in how Jesus relates to his people than everyone else. And this is a supreme privilege of the believer, the disciple, the follower of Jesus. You see, Jesus sticks with us as our friend. All those things that we just talked about, all those things we just talked about, about companionship and friendship, not only is, is our life somehow a representation of what we believe about Jesus, he's our, our, our companion or he's our friend, but also he has categorized us. And if we follow him, we are his friend. So I would ask you, friends, do you call him friend? Does your life speak to friend or companion? When you hear him say hard things that you disagree with in, in John 6, like eat my flesh and drink my blood, or perhaps in other passages of the Bible, whether it be Old Testament or New, that's the same Jesus, y'all. It's the same Jesus in the book of Joshua as it is in the book of John. Like, it's the same Jesus. And so let us understand he is, he is not changing how he relates to the world. He is the same. He does not change his mind as if he was a man. And so when we read that, do we, do we not understand it and go, you know what, Jesus, that's too much for me. I'm out. That's companionship with Jesus. And friends, that's, I'm gonna warn, like, that's, a, that's a dangerous place to be because you think you're good, but you're walking away during the hard stuff. If you read enough scripture, if you stick around long enough, we get past all the topical understandings of God, and you get into the scriptures, and you can't just skip around. You've got to plow through word by word, line by line, then you start to understand that God requires a lot more of us than what we're hearing on a regular basis. 
And in that moment, in that moment, we either choose to be friends of Jesus or we remain companions. We either choose to push him away or we choose to go, man, I, I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I'm leaning in so that I can understand it and I can get it. Jesus, friends, Jesus has no companions, not those that are on the, the road of life with him. Those that are out there, those that have chosen to not walk with him, those are the companions. But you cannot walk along the path with Jesus for long before he turns around at you and goes, eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood. And in that moment, we're split. Will we be his friends? He calls us friends. Will we call him a friend? Because if we do, our life looks like John 15. Our life looks like doing what, like living like Jesus of, of getting access to the Father's will and then wrapping your life around what God wants for us in this life. And so I finish with this final encouragement for us. And this is, um, this is going to get down to the nitty-gritty. May we be a people who intentionally pursue spiritual and sticky friendships. Now, you might be thinking, like, why are you keep using the word sticky, man? I don't like it. It's weird. Here's why. The same word back in Proverbs 18, 24. The same word for, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother is the same word in Genesis 2. It's the same word in Genesis 2 where it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife. Hold fast, stick closer than a brother. It's like glue that no matter what, you are going to stick and stay. That these kinds of friendships, um, they show up for you when you've lost your mind in bad decisions. And they don't show up with judgment. They show up with invitation. They call you or they show up when you are absent. They pursue you into the darkness when you have pursued isolation. And guess what? They speak hard truths to you because they love you and are concerned for you. They don't just rest in enjoying one another. They risk enjoyment for the sake of good and growth. So five roadblocks here. To spiritual sticky friends, all starting with a C. They'll come up on your screen, I believe. Number one, you're just closed off. Like, how do we, how do we navigate this road of spiritual sticky friendships? Practically speaking, number one, the biggest, one of the biggest roadblocks that I can see is that we're closed off to true spiritual friendship. We lack vulnerability or and or repentance, and therefore it severs trust. Number two, we, we settle for companionship. We settle for easy come, easy go. We settle for acquaintance. We settle for coworker. We settle for something less than friend. And it's a fickle commitment based on performance, y'all. Companionship, a fickle commitment based on performance. Third C, consumerism. Consumerism, we are centered on personal preference, on what have you done for me or what can you do for me, consumerism will kill your commitment to another, including to Jesus, including to his bride, the church. Criticism, fourth C, that we would find fault, and that finding fault would come easy, but we never accept fault in another. And just realize, yes, man, that's just, that's just what they're struggling with, and that's okay. They're in process just like me. I got issues too, and they've accepted those things in me. Criticism, and then finally, just a general Christlessness. 
If Jesus is not the center of your friendship, just like the center of your marriage, we're in danger again. There's a general Christlessness, a general selfishness that we use one another in order to manipulate and maneuver trying to get the most out of this world instead of committing ourselves to growth in Christ. You see, that's five roadblocks, and that's, that's easy, I think, to see that we, we probably are all, no, not probably, we all are uh, somewhat uh, given to these things. But let me give you also three Three smooth roads to what spiritual, sticky friendship looks like. And it's not going to be easy, but there are three simple ways to do it. Number one, we commit to another's good and growth. We commit. That should be obvious by now, right? That we commit to one another's good over the long haul of life so that we both may grow up in Christ. We shirk off the cultural narrative of shallow companionship or of independent living and commit ourselves to another's good and growth. We take the risk past simply enjoying one another. I don't know about you, but like, I, like, this is a real risk. We're sitting at a dinner table, and we're enjoying life, and our friends are getting along, and our wife is getting along, along with the husband. That's like a thing. Like, the wife likes the wife, and the husband likes the husband, and the kids. This is a trifecta, baby. And then all of a sudden, something funky happens, and you got to risk it all for the sake of growth and the good of another. Will you? That's true spiritual sticky friendship. We risk enjoyment for the sake of maturity. We find then not enjoyment in things. We find joy in Christ together. And that is a difference. Paul Hellerman says this in his book called When the Church Was Family about our commitment to one another and about the, the danger that we have uh, when we don't understand Jesus' commitment to friendship for us. He says this, God has now been recast in the role of a divine therapist, right? Who aids the individual Christian in his or her personal quest for spiritual enlightenment and self-discovery. Pause. Is that you? Have we recast Jesus into just giving us what we think we need without ever submitting to a friend? Now let's continue on, right? That, that There's this self-discovery and self-enlightenment, and so Jesus is supposed to be this divine therapist. And Jesus, in the final analysis, has become little more than a personal savior. Such a truncated image of God does little to encourage us to stay and to embrace the pain <laughs> and to grow up with one another. Do you have friends that stick? Are you a friend that sticks? In our cancel culture, where we will find anything to pick apart and therefore separate ourselves from another person, where is our commitment to seeing the other person grow up in Christ? Where is our commitment and our risk to say, hey, you see anything that's offensive to God in me? What a great question to ask over your next dinner party. Huh. I want to be invited, by the way. Beautiful. All right, second thing, I'm going to move past uh, a little bit. Second thing, number one, commitment. Number two, a mutual pursuit of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 6, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to read it. I don't have, we don't have the time. But in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, Paul describes um, the difference between a believer and a non-believer. And he says, hey, these things should not be in, in, in compatibility with one another. We usually use it in like premarital counseling. But I want to bring it, since marriage and friendship are parallel relationships, let's bring it to our friendships. 
And he says this, like, what commonality is there between followers of Jesus and followers of Satan? They're like, oh, that, just those two? That's no one else? That's it. Followers of Jesus and followers of Satan. What commonality is there in death and in life, in darkness and in light, in the temple of the living God and the temple of idols? So I cannot say this enough, y'all. If the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and resurrection is not inside the person that you are calling your best friend, recategorize. Step back. That person is a companion until they know the way, the truth, and the life and the person of Jesus. So love them, minister to them, but do not entrust your soul to them. So I'm going to level up on this. This is what my kids now are saying. Oh, you got to level up on that. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to level up on this. If you're seeing a counselor or a therapist that does not have the Holy Spirit in them, find a new counselor. How can they counsel you if they don't have the great counselor in their heart? How can they counsel you and, and, and bring therapy to you in the best possible way if they do not have the scriptures as their guide? Now, I know that I probably just upset a lot of people, but there are plenty of good counselors that I can, I can point you to. Because, again, we're in danger if we make ourselves the most vulnerable to someone who does not have the Spirit of God in them. I'm going to level up again. Again, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to level up again. If your friend is a believer... They have the spirit of, in you, and they just annoy you. Perhaps it's time to quit treating them like they belong to the darkness, that you've judged them and pushed them out because they disagree with you on masks or on if COVID is a hoax or if it's real or on if whether or not we truly do have some racist tendencies in our hearts. Let's quit treating them and judging them like they belong to Satan and instead, let's bring them a little closer because they probably have the most to offer us during this time, especially. So just like, let's just stop. Let's listen. Let's learn. Let's repent. Friends, this is a courageous journey that a friend who mutually pursues Jesus with you is on and commits to. Again, one more quote. Then I'll move to my third and final like smooth avenue or simple avenue to true spiritual sticky friends. This is a quote from a 12th century monk. And I know you were wondering, can I get a 12th century monk quote in here today? Yes, you can. The purpose of friendship is not necessarily to make another feel good, but to help one another be good. That is why we must allow these friends to offer us counsel, guidance, and even challenge and correction as we struggle to grow in Christ. That's my boy Al from Revu. Finally, number one, how do we do this? We commit to another's good and growth. Number two, we have to mutually pursue Jesus together. If we're not pursuing Jesus, ain't no point in this thing. Finally, we speak words to one another that fit the occasion. I used to just say, like, let's encourage one another. But actually, what's maybe better for us is that we speak a word that's fitting for the occasions. Ephesians 4, 29 would say this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is gooding for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those 
who hear. Spiritual sticky friends admonish the idle, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says. They encourage the faint-hearted. They help the weak, and they are patient with us all. They admonish, and they receive admonishment. They seek ways to honor one another. Like Romans 12, they don't take credit for another's work. They seek ways to help one another while admitting that they need help. Spiritual, sticky friends see the best in another person, and they speak the gospel to them when they fail and when they succeed to see the other person flourish in no other identity than being found in Christ. Not in success or as a victor and not in failure, but only in the gospel, only in the good news that Jesus has come for sinners and he calls those sinners friends. No matter how many times we disappoint, no matter how many times our first inclination to his hard word is, I don't believe in that. No matter how many times he commits to us, he pursues us and he makes sure that we're becoming good. We're becoming holy and he makes sure that we're constantly growing. You see, that's the kind of commitment that he says, as I've loved you, friends, so now love one another. What would it look like for the grove to start? However many people still call the grove home during this crazy time. What would it look like for this little body of believers to commit to one another in this way? Not to consume from one another, not to use one another, not to criticize one another, or not just to, to just kind of just, you know, get what you need, but instead pursue one another's good. Lay down our life so that another might mature in Christ. This is not the responsibility of just a pastor or a deacon or a leader or a staff. This is all of our responsibility. We must pursue these things in the name of Christ, especially in this crazy, divided, opinionated world. And may we do so not for our own glory, but for the glory of the one, the King, who calls us friend. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for you. We love you. We know that you have called us friend. We know that you have brought us into a relationship with you where we don't deserve to be your people. We don't deserve to, um, to be brought close. We didn't earn that right. We didn't earn the right to be like, have high connections with the king of the universe. <laughs> oh. No, you have brought us into that relationship um, and you sustain us and you've pursued us. And so may we be people that live resurrected lives because you've risen from the dead. May we be people that by your spirit, we seek what's best um, for another. We can't do this without your spirit, so would you create in us new hearts so that we can uh, join you in this journey of finding our joy in Jesus and nothing else. We're grateful. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.